Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider. And today, I am going to be going over the weekly watch list. I called this the Wednesday watch list last week. Could stick with that one, but I'm calling it the weekly watch list as of right now. I also am going to have a game preview of the New Orleans Pelicans game posted uh, probably in a couple hours from this, but I wanted to kind of have something just going over the top stories of last week and then the game preview in its own separate episode because they really don't match up too well and I kind of want to separate them. So if you want to listen to the game preview, you guys can hold off a little bit and I will have that up. Do not worry. And for those just wanting to listen to something like this, here you go. So here is what I'm going to be going over today. I'm going to be giving you guys the game summaries from week two, the top performer of the week, the Cade Cunningham leaderboard, and could Presty bring Marvin Bagley to Bricktown? So just going over some game summaries from week two. I spliced this up into three games. I did the first three in last week's. I'm doing... These three games that we had as our week two, we went one and two in those three games. The first game that we played was Steven Adams' return to the peak. The Pelicans ended up defeating us 113 to 80, so we ended up losing by 33 points. Pelicans went on an 8-0 run to close the second quarter for them, so it put them up 11 points by halftime. And it was kind of a back and forth in the third. And like with a couple minutes to go in the third, Brandon Ingram got ejected. So it seemed like the Thunder might have been able to push and gain some momentum heading into the fourth. It never happened. The Pelicans were up 12 entering that fourth quarter. And Mark Dagnall pulled really all of our starters. So we had our second and third string guys facing the New Orleans Pelicans starters for that entire fourth quarter until it just got out of reach so that decision may have cost us there really didn't matter though end up losing my 33 the next game that we played it was a rematch game versus Orlando I covered this in my week one breakdown but we played them on Tuesday of last week we ended up losing and this one different result we Took this one 108-299. Really just a group effort from the Thunder guys. Had 22 assists in that game. And the key factor that led to this Thunder victory was limiting Nikola Vucevic. He lit up the stat sheet in the first one. He had 28 points in that one, I believe. And it seemed like he was just going to do the same old, same old. He had 26 through three quarters in Saturday's game but the difference was in the fourth he could not get any shots to fall he only had four points in the fourth and that allowed us to take the lead and take this game really Darius Baisley he dropped his season high of 19 points and 12 rebounds in this game so love the effort from him there but you really just can't pin it on Baisley everybody had a great game in this one the last game that we played on Monday, we ended up losing 118 to 90 against the Heat. So the Heat ended up beating us by 28 points. They weren't missing from downtown. They shot 16 of 34 from distance. 
and they mounted a 14-point lead by halftime off of just wide-open looks. They were passing it around, getting the shots they liked, and we could never get the ball moving, so that's how they got that early lead entering the second half, and it seemed like we might be able to make a comeback. We started the third on a 12-2 run to cut their lead down to just four, but then the Heat got hot again from three, and they went on a 20-0 run, pushing this game out of reach for us. Uh, an interesting thing from this game, though, was every single one of our active players got playing time in this one, and uh, at some point in this game, and including Darius Miller. He had his Thunder debut. But yeah, ultimately what this game came down to was passing. They got so many assists off this one. I think it was in the 30s. For us... I'm not even sure if we went above 20. It was that bad. They were kicking it out, getting the looks, and we were just a little stagnant. So that's how we ended up losing that game. Out of these three games, though, if I were to pick the top performer of the week, I would have to give the nod to Darius Baisley. He averaged 14 points, 8 rebounds, and 2 assists over those three games with a steal and .6 blocks on average and he was shooting 54% from the field and 42% from three the things that I liked with Baisley in this week he was crashing the glass like crazy in these games he's all about tipping the ball to himself and making the hustle plays I stress it every time when I mention Baisley but he doesn't have the size advantage so he uses his athleticism to to get these boards and he just hustles he'll fly in he'll start tapping it around like crazy to get him he just finds his own way to make things work out and that's what I love about him getting the boards but this was his week really to create for himself in the first week Mark Dagnall was kind of limiting Baisley in terms of how much he had the ball in his hands and what he could do with it he had the green light in these past three games and he was doing a plethora of things. He was driving in on defenders, forcing fouls, because whenever he's going in on layups, really all you can do is try to jump into the guy, and that's going to result in him going to the free throw line, or he's going to lay it in or dunk it on you. So went to the line a lot this week, and when he wasn't going to the line, he was hitting his layups. He was having some mid-range pull-ups, which I don't even know if he made one of those, in the first week and from downtown he started a bit cold I think in the first game against the Pelicans he didn't do too well but in the past two games he was on fire and it wasn't just the catch and shoot corner threes that we've kind of become accustomed to with Baisley he was pulling it from the wings off of the dribble and he looked like a real shot creator and it seemed like he had the touch from everywhere when he was hot in our last game against the Heat, Dagnall kind of pulled the plug on him and he wasn't able to kind of play make like he had been while he was just on a streak. He scored eight of our first 10 points in that Heat game and the plug just kind of got pulled from him and it, the reins went back to SGA. I don't think it should have. And if he has a performance where he gets hot early, I want to see him as our primary guy because he's going to crack 20 points in one of our games in the future. But that's who I have as the top performer. 
If you're going based off of just stats, SGA probably led our team in points and assists. However, he just wasn't shooting the ball enough from downtown. He has gotten so used to driving in and either forcing a layup or trying to kick out to the corner, which sometimes he finds good looks there, but he kind of needs to expand it. He's been a great shooter with us in his past season, and he's looked like a great shooter this season when he does take it, but he's just a little bit too passive pulling it from downtown. He needs to get used to shooting again, and once he does, I gladly will put him as top performer. I just think he was kind of limiting himself this week going in so much when a lot of the times he had a wide open three that he just kept passing up on. But yeah, that, that was my thoughts on him in this week. Dort did a solid job as well. But moving on to the Cade Cunningham leaderboard. My expectation coming into this week, I told you guys in my week one um, breakdown of things. I expected the Detroit Pistons to be in the number one spot for week two. And then I thought there would be a three-way tie between the Thunder, Hornets, and Grizzlies for that second place spot. I was correct on the number one spot, but on the others, I was completely off. The worst team in the NBA right now is the Detroit Pistons. They are one in six. They've had some close games. They just haven't been able to close out, but... I don't expect for them to be winning any close games or winning comfortably. I think the only times that they're going to be winning this year are going to be against some of these bottom dwellers. And it's not going to be like they're up double digits majority of the game. I don't think their roster is constructed that well this year. Jeremy Grant is killing it for them. I think he's averaging 20 plus for them. But outside of that, I really don't like the pieces they have in Detroit. So I'm kind of expecting them to be super low or I guess super high on the Cade Cunningham leaderboard throughout the year. And if I didn't mention this already, pretty much what this is, I'm just going in the standings in reverse order. So the worst team in the NBA is number one on here, 2019 second. You kind of get where I'm going with that. But the second team on the leaderboard somehow is still the Toronto Raptors, and they were winless last week. And this one, uh, and this week, they only won one game. So I don't know how they are at a one in five record right now. And Fred Van Vliet has spoken about how like mad this is making him. I'm surprised they're doing this bad, and I think this is just a fluke. Eventually, they're going to be able to get things going because their roster is very, very solid. They have Lowry. They have Fred Van Vliet, they have Ananobi, Powell, Siakam, Chris Boucher is doing all right for them. So they have options all across the board. And then they even have people on the bench like Aaron Baines. This is a playoff team in the East, so I don't see them being on this board at all come week three. Tied for third on the list are the Washington Wizards and the Charlotte Hornets. They're both two and five. I don't think the Wizards are going to stay this low because the firepower of Westbrook and Beal, that's just too much right there. And Westbrook has been dropping triple-double after triple-double, and all their losses are coming really in single figures. Maybe there's an exception I may be missing, but they're losing a lot of close ones. 
I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I think they're going to be able to grind it out and get a lot of victories in the clutch this year. And I just think that there's going to be games where Beal's going off for 30-plus, and there's going to be games where Westbrook is going off for 30-plus. There's pretty much two superstars on that team, and there's no way if Westbrook and Beal stay healthy this whole year, they're the third-worst team in the NBA. With the Charlotte Hornets, it's a possibility. I like LaMelo Ball. Um, LaMelo Ball... Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham as their three guards that they have. I don't have an issue there. And I like PJ Washington. They have Cody Zeller out, so Bismack Biombo's their starting center. And then they ran round out their roster with Gordon Hayward. So their five or six guys that I named there aren't too terrible. But I just think they kind of lack that star that you know, you kind of are looking for. Gordon Hayward has been sneaky solid, but I don't see a ton of consistency with him. And with the three guards, Rozier, Graham, and Ball, they're kind of flip-flopping who's having solid games over and over. So none of them have stood out as consistent. Terry Rozier's done solid, and he's had multiple games where he's dropped over 30 points, but I just don't see the sustainability there. They're a decent team, but they have a hole, particularly at the big right now. And I think teams are going to be able to exploit it. They have Biombo there, and then their backup center really is a toss-up. I'm not even sure if they have one right now. So Zeller's out for a very long time. While he's gone, I don't know how many of these games they're going to win. I still think they're going to be in contention come week three, but... There's a four-way tie for fifth place. It's the San Antonio Spurs, Minnesota Timberwolves, Memphis Grizzlies, and Oklahoma City Thunder. So we are tied for fifth right now on the Cade Cunningham leaderboard. All these teams are two and four right now. For the Spurs, they have some injuries right now. Derek White has been out really this whole year. He's played one game with them, but not a lot of minutes from him. I think he's going to be able to play solid for them. Um, they've had some pleasant surprises on their roster this year, and I'm a little surprised that they have not kind of jumped out to a better record than just two and four. Let's start with Lonnie Walker. Um, he wasn't playing a ton of minutes last year with the Spurs, but he's kind of just jumped out as a very quality player for them. Um, he was starting a couple games this season so far and he's been averaging almost 13 points a game for them so he's been a pleasant surprise but the main dude I want to talk about on these Spurs is Keldon Johnson he's averaging 16 a night for them in this past week he's dropped 20 points in two of his games he dropped 22 against Utah and 26 against the Lakers I think they have something special in him there and if they continue to give him a ton of minutes, he's been playing like 30-plus majority of the year. If they keep giving him 30-plus, he's going to grow so much with this team, and they're going to have a real option with him. And I haven't even mentioned DeJounte Murray is on their team. They have DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge. They're not going to stay this bad. I think they may not make the playoffs in the West this season, but they're not going to be the lowest of the low, if you know what I'm saying. 
Minnesota. Little surprised. I mean, when you think about it, it's like they have Cat, they have D'Angelo Russell, they have Anthony Edwards on their squad, and they still have guys like Ricky Rubio playing for them as well. So they have solid pieces really everywhere. They have Nas Reed, who has been nice for them. I'm just a little confused how they're so low at the moment. I don't know if they're going to be one of the top eight or nine teams in the West, but it's I kind of have the same exact feeling with um, them as I do with the San Antonio Spurs, where I see them maybe in like the 10 to 12 range in the conference. But if I will mention, I just said that Cat was playing for them. Cat has not even been playing, so I think that's why they're 2-4. and four. Whenever he returns... I think they're going to be smooth sailing. I don't think they're going to stay this low. But Memphis, they actually, they had a really, really weird, like, contract signing a couple days ago. They signed Tim Fraser Jr. to a deal, but it's only, like, a temporary one. And the reason they did this, the Memphis Grizzlies have four players out. So they have John Morant, and then they have three other players not playing at the moment so they got a little bit of an exception to sign another player um they got the hardship exception that's how they got Frazier but yeah so they brought him on he's a decent point guard I think he will be able to hold up while the Grizzlies are just have a ton of injuries I don't see them winning a lot of games until John Morant comes back though So I'm banking on the Grizzlies staying pretty high on this board until Morant comes back. And that's going to take probably a month. So we'll see on them. But with the Thunder, I mean, if we're looking at their next week's schedule, the only game I see us winning potentially is against the New York Knicks. I don't know if we're going to be able to beat the Pelicans next week. And I think we play the Lakers too. So... Out of those three, I think maybe we can get the Knicks one, but I'm not sure about the Lakers. So I expect us to stay pretty, pretty high on the board. Maybe maybe even jump a couple spots. And that's why my rankings for next week on the Cade Cunningham leaderboard are the Detroit Pistons at number one. I have the Thunder at second. I think we're only going to win one, maybe even zero of our next three games so I think that's why we kind of stay down at the bottom and then I think the Charlotte Hornets may also struggle I could see a tie with like the Grizzlies down there as well I didn't have them marked in the top three but I think there still could be a lot of ties because of how early on we are in the season teams really aren't breaking off yet in the uh win and loss column but yeah I got Pistons Thunder and Hornets for next week on the leaderboard Moving on to the featured story of today's podcast. Can Presti bring Marvin Bagley to Bricktown? So pretty much here is how the situation came about and why this is even a question. On Saturday, Marvin Bagley's dad tweeted out uh, to the Kings. He said, please trade Marvin Bagley ASAP love coach Bagley. He deleted that tweet a little bit later, but 
you know, the damage was kind of already done. Twitter was going bananas over this. Marvin Bagley was trending on Twitter on Saturday, and the Kings were kind of put on the hot seat. The Sacramento players and coaches really just shot down the tweet saying it didn't mean anything. And De'Aaron Fox said that he actually talked to Bagley and their head coach, Luke Walton, about the situation. And the conversation only lasted five seconds. So he didn't say what, you know, Bagley said or what anybody said. But I don't know. Five seconds, I don't know how much you're able to gauge from that. The interesting thing about this whole thing, though, which is why I kind of want to have this article still up here, Bagley himself never addressed or commented on this tweet. And you can make your own idea as to what that means. Personally, when I hear that, I'm thinking that he probably does want to get traded and maybe he talked to his father about this because if I'm on a team that I want to be on, and someone like my father or something would say he wants to be traded, like a family member said that I wanted to be traded and I didn't, of course I'd immediately say BS on that. I don't know why Bagley hasn't, and either he does want to get moved, or he's just being kind of weird about it, because I don't logically think that if you wanted to stay there, you would just stay silent on a situation like that when your name is on the rumor mill right now. But yeah, just looking at Marvin Bagley as a player, the second pick in the 2018 draft, I think he's always going to be known as the guy who was picked before Luka Doncic, sadly. But number two pick, coming out of the draft, his comparisons were Chris Bosh and Amari Stoudemire. And he just hasn't looked like that at all so far in his career. And injuries have kind of plagued him through his first couple of years in the league. He's only played 82 games so far in his career. And in his rookie year, he dealt with a left knee injury. Despite that, he still played 62 out of the 82 games. He put up solid numbers in his rookie year. He had 15 points, 6 boards, and an assist in 25 minutes. And he was an all-rookie. He was a first-team all-rookie. So it looked like he was on the up-and-up. People truly believed that he was going to be a star in the league heading into a sophomore campaign. But that's when the injury bug really hit him hard. He had a thumb fracture at the beginning of his sophomore year. Then... He had a left foot sprain, and then once he healed from his left foot sprain, he had a right foot sprain. So both of his feet got sprained, and he had a thumb fracture in his sophomore year, so he only saw playing time in 13 games. For this season, he's been healthy. He's played in all seven of the Kings games. But the problem is, he really just does not have a spot on this team And I actually talked about this, I believe, in my first breakdown on who I thought was going to be contending and who I thought was going to be in the bottom bracket of teams in the NBA. I had the Kings down as like a dark horse for a bottom dweller. And the reason why was because the Kings do not have a lot of shooters 
at the power forward and center position just isn't there. I mean, they have four solid power forwards and centers on their squad, but only one of them can shoot, and that's Nemanja Bujalika. And if you want to include Bagley, that actually turns this into five names. But just without Bagley, they have Hassan Whiteside, Rashawn Holmes, Nemanja Bujalika, and Jabari Parker. That's a solid group of guys, and I'm not really sure, like, why Bagley would be scrapping out 25 minutes. I think all these four players that I named are certified NBA guys, and they deserve the roles that they have of playing, like, 20-plus a game. Bagley's a bit of an odd man out in terms of he kind of brings the exact same skill set as some of these guys, but he just is never consistent enough. A lot of these guys are super duper consistent while Bagley has one good game out of like five for the Kings. At least as of late, he's only had like one good game, I'd say. In Bagley's past three games, he has shot one for nine, five for 13, and two for nine. So he's a combined 28% in his last three and he just wasn't a factor on the offensive side or the defensive side. In Steph Curry's 62-point game, he was faced off against the Kings. And there was actually a little clip going around where Steph Curry just completely got Bagley with a, a little crossover move. Freed himself up for three. And Bagley just gave up on the play. And then there was another play in this game where it was a transition play. And Bagley could have chased down and tried to block it. But instead of going up, he just stayed down. So he gave up five easy points there. And there were a lot more occasions like this in his last three. So I think the Kings are getting a bit fed up. And he just doesn't really fit, you know, what they have going on. They're trying to be super duper consistent. Well, he's just a little bit of an enigma for them. The good thing about this, though, in terms of our perspective of things, he's at an all-time low when it comes down to his trade value. Let me tell you what he would bring to the table for us. He's only 21 years old. He's a fierce finisher around the basket, a straight-up lob threat, and he just doesn't play like a power forward center. He's way faster than his size, and the way he finishes dunks you'd think he's a forward of some sort. I kind of think he's flashed a bit of a mid-range game. It's a little bit sketchy right now, so I'm not going to call him a mid-range shooter. But at times, he's been solid shooting from the mid-range. And he also has a decent post game. So the way I'm grading him, he's just an, he's an he's a really good interior finisher who can also shoot on occasions. I think right now, if we placed him on this Thunder squad, he would be averaging probably 14 points and 8 rebounds, I'd say off the bench. I think in our second unit, he'd probably be a focal point of some sorts, and we just have plays where he's taking things ISO, doing things his way, and while we give our starters a rest, we can play a little bit of bully ball with Marvin Bagley, and he could be a very good use in the pick and rolls. So I just really think that he would be the perfect player for us to develop. And that's why if I'm Sam Presti, I'd be pouncing 
all over Marvin Bagley right now. I would be throwing out an offer, and the package that I have constructed goes a little like this. We would be giving the Kings Mike Muscala, the Warriors' top 20 protected first. That's this year's draft, by the way. And a Washington 2023 second. While we get in return Marvin Bagley. Why the Kings would do this deal? They get an overall upgrade for what they need at the power forward and center position. They get a stretch big of Mike Muscala, who really solves their spacing issues off the bench. They only have Nemanja there. He's like a 42% three-point shooter. No one else can shoot, and that's why Muscala plugs right in. He shot 38% for us last season. I think this year he's probably shooting well into the 40% range. So he's doing super-duper well for us. He would translate great for the Kings, and... At times, the Kings could even run a lineup including Nemanja and Muscala together. Those are two great shooters. Muscala can play the four and the five, so that gives you the flexibility that the Kings would probably want, so they don't have to stick to always having a big man clogging up the paint for them. Also, those two picks, they can fill the needs that the Kings would have. This Warriors 2021 first is only conveying if it's selections 21 through 30. If not, it's going to become the Timberwolves 2021 second. So I'd say that'd be around like the 37th pick to the 42nd pick. So you're looking at an early to mid second rounder if that Warriors pick does not convey. And then on top of that, they also get a second second round pick. The Warriors 2023 pick. And I kind of think this would be a high first because Russell Westbrook would be 34 in two seasons. And with his game being so reliant on athleticism, I think it's likely he will kind of have a large dip in production. And I think if he goes down, this whole entire Wizards team could potentially go down and they would just go back into rebuilding modes. So I'd value this pick around the 40th selection it could be a little bit higher a little bit lower but really what this trade would be would be us giving up Mike Muscala and two early to mid-round seconds for uh, Marvin Bagley or this could turn into a high first round pick now the reason why OKC does this First off, we need to address Mike Muscala. He's having a career season for us. He's been averaging double digits on super high efficiency from really everywhere. I don't want to see him go, but he's 28 years old on an expiring contract, so I think he likely would be gone after this season anyways. I think he's kind of become a fan favorite around here, but The way he's played, I think every single contender would love to take him on next season. And really, I think he could be one of these guys who changes teams every one or two years, going from contender to contender. I could see Muscala with a couple rings by the time he uh, puts the jersey up. But I think if you're looking at it from just a rotational standpoint, Muscala... Leaving is a big hit because he has been playing so much for us at the four and the five. But truthfully, 
I think that you could slide Marvin Bagley right in at that situation. He's 6'11", 240, so he could be that small ball center or just the power forward if you would like. In terms of why we would give up these picks to get a guy like Bagley right now, obviously we would want this Warriors 2021 pick, but we already have two first-round picks in this draft, and we still have a second-round pick. And we can't move this second because it was linked to the Vincent Poirier trade that we did. We got him as well as some money in exchange for us giving up this 2021 pick. It is protected 31st through 55th though, so we're going to get it back. We just can't move it in a deal to Sacramento. With three really high picks, I think we were cool giving up the Warriors one. When, in all likelihood, that pick could probably be the worst out of the other three that we have. We have our first, we have the right to swap for the Houston pick or the Miami pick, and then our second's going to be really high. So that's where you're getting that from. And then the Wizards pick, it could hold value, but let's just be honest. We have 17 first round picks through 2026, 16 picks if you want to take out the Warriors one we'd be giving up in this deal. But the point is, we have so many of these picks, we're going to be flipping them at some point in this rebuild. I wouldn't hold a second round pick in that high of value. And if we can give up this pick and that would be the deciding factor and getting a guy with the upside of Bagley, you're going to do it. So we would throw it in. As I said, it. I'd say it's around the 40th selection. That's not too terrible. Just let him get two crapshoots in the late first or the mid seconds, and then they get a little bit of an upgrade in Muscala. So I think we just want to see what we can get in Bagley. He looked like a budding star, like I said, entering his sophomore season. And if he can kind of fully heal from both of his foot injuries and regain that athleticism he had he's going to be well worth what we are giving up to get him realistically I kind of see him as a Julius Randle type player when fully healthy he finds most of his game finishing inside he's a great rebounder and at times he can actually try to iso his man and dribble his way into the lane and try to finish there. Only knock um, is that shooting though. And I talked about that mid-range. I'm not too confident just yet on it. But it was one of his selling points when entering the draft back in 2018. So maybe we can build him up there. He's going to have a good role with this team. He's going to be absorbing Muscala's role. And he's been playing around 20 22 minutes for us he's gonna be getting that plus some i'd probably say he'd be taking a bit from horford let's just say hypothetically he's getting 28 minutes a ball game for us i think he could really build and by the time horford is gone maybe we could use him as a starting center at, at times i think there is that potential there and for what we are giving up the risk in picking Bagley up is so, so good. You need to do this. If, you know, Presti calls up and they're like, okay, we'll do that. 
you're gonna do this trade without a doubt. Muscal is nice, the picks are nice, but this is one of these moves that you need to be doing because Bagley is not gonna have a trade value lower than this right now. I will say, seems like Bagley is going to be super duper competitive. I think teams are going to be trying to outbid each other in terms of trying to get him out of the Kings' hands. One of the deals that I've seen, the Charlotte Hornets giving up a guy like Malik Monk. He's wanted out of Charlotte for a bit. The Kings need a shooting guard. The Hornets need a big man, so it kind of works there. I just think if the Kings would like a solution at the power forward now and also have a couple gambles in the draft if they don't like the other packages they're getting with players in them, this would not be a terrible deal for them. And hey, maybe they would do this and we could wind up with a guy like Bagley. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening and I will talk to you guys next time. See ya.